Hello. Thanks for waiting and welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast. Uh, we are in our wrap up session for our mini campaign of Scum and Villainy. And we kind of wanted to get together, talk about uh, the mini campaign, uh, what might come in the future, and uh, talk about the mini campaign. So uh, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, we've got a whole giant list of questions that we won't get to everything. Uh, but I was just wondering how everybody felt about that game. Like I, I have some feelings about that game, uh, both good and bad and undefined feelings about that game. But what, what are, what are people's feelings about that game? Um, and I, I think I'm going to pick on someone. I'll, I'm going to pick on Josh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I liked the concept and I think that's, ended up being kind of what the the whole core of the game basically is is basically this concept of you jump right into the action instead of like sitting there for and spending like an entire four hours planning out what you're going to do and everything like that it's like no you're in there what are you doing (laughs) here you go here's the job plus i also i enjoyed the that it was more episodic i guess uh where it's like, okay, one week is this job. Next week we do this job. Week after that, we're doing another job. Things like that. I kind of like that a little bit more versus some of the more, I don't want to say traditional, <laughs> like tabletop RPG games, but like your D&D where it's just like, okay, this leads into this, leads into this, leads into this, which <clears throat> this game can be. Um, but I enjoyed that, like, if you missed a session, you didn't feel like, okay, now I need to catch up on everything that we messed up on and get, like, I need to run a special session just with me. No, it just wasn't part of that job. That's fine. Now I'm joining the next one. So I kind of, I liked the way that it was, <laughs> really. Cool. Anyone, anyone have anything to add on that? No, it was nice to be able to uh, to miss a session without feeling like you missed out on something. Like, yeah, you missed the session, but it wasn't like, okay, we gotta, we have to explain away where you were. And it is, it's just like, nope, he's not here. Move on. Yeah, I think the only place that would have happened was like our penultimate or ultimate sessions, where it was like a two parter. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was four and five. And actually going back, I probably wouldn't have made it a two-parter because the second part was almost its own adventure itself. Um, So, um, Aaron, I know you have some some feelings about it, about the system and or game. I feel fancy now. What? Um. Uh, I ran away because I got scared. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I actually kind of excel with planning. Um, so this was a very much out of my element kind of a thing. Because uh, I enjoy like finding out about the environment I'm going to be in and how I can use like every little thing to my advantage. Um, Whenever I attack a problem in any other game, I'm probably the planning extraordinaire person. So this one was 
really difficult for me to just kind of jump in and like completely unprepared. Uh, as a former teacher, we lived a life of uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. And so that's like deeply in my core right now of you can't go into a situation unplanned um, because yeah. you are completely unprepared. And that actually kind of creates anxiety for me. I am exactly the opposite of Aaron and <laughs> really prefer flying by the seat of my pants and, and things like that. Well, to, in, in me, for me, like in a role-playing game is the place where you can go and the consequences aren't as dire as, say, the classroom or the workplace and, and that kind of thing. So I loved the improvisational nature of the game and the fact that we're just riffing off of one another. I, I really came to love the flashback idea once we got the hang of it um you know we're going to explain silly stuff with this flashback or desperate stuff with this flashback so it was the i felt like unlike other role-playing games i played and and i'm not casting aspersions it just is what it is um this felt really energetic and organic and i really loved that um, I, I enjoy planning a heist, you know, as much as anybody, but after about 15 minutes, my eyes start to roll back in my head and I just want to go roll some <laughs> dice and make something happen. So, um, I, I really loved, again, the improvisational nature of it. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me pivot that, that last bit of that question is like this game system is designed around not. How do I how do I even put this? This game system is not designed around combat. Um, it explicitly it explicitly is not designed around combat. And I know that most of us come from a D&D sort of background. How did it how did that work for all of you guys? I, I know for me, it was really difficult when combat started of like. How do I say you were hit mm -hmm. or how do I say how much damage you got? And basically that is completely left up to us as the players and GM to handle ourselves um, and to, and to improv basically um, there's not any, you know, like how do I do a dance fight with, uh, with Jaeger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Wait, you know, I mispronounced and, it again. Dang it! Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was an interesting because uh, you know Jagger did get into quite a bit of the dust ups. Uh, that he, you know, if there was if there was a fight to be had, he was looking for it. And coming off a Dungeons and Dragons game where you're running, you know, five five characters against, you know, maybe a dozen monsters. Sometimes it's a big werewolf battle and it's very regimented and it's, you know, it's the rounds and the initiative and, and what can I do in the space of one turn, right? Coming off of that, it really is kind of jarring to go into what do you want the outcome of this to be? And then it's like, Oh, you just took out six guys. Um, and it would have been, cool if i had been able to flex this muscle a little bit more in that in order to provide some more dynamic descriptions of exactly what went on in that and that's where i was actually looking at this before we started this um a um 
improv for role players. Um, the preview for that yeah, from from yeah. uh, Evil Hat is coming out. Just looking yeah. at that. Nice. So anyway, I, I was just looking at that, and I was like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll pick that up because that looks like it might be uh, the Improv for Gamers. It's called by Karen Twelves, and they're running like a Kickstarter style campaign right now on GameFound. But I was like, that would have been cool to be able to just kind of um, because in D and D you are very specific about what you're doing. You're swinging your sword, you're doing this, you're casting this spell, you're doing that thing, and it's around the table and this happens and then it comes around and then the monsters do a whole bunch of stuff. And But on the other hand, combat lasts an hour and a half, right? If it's a big, <laughs> if it's a big thing, you could have a combat that just keeps going and going and going. And this allowed us to keep things moving and keep everybody else involved, especially when we had the group split up a little bit. And uh, but it, it did seem like that was just a little too easy. Like one roll of dice and four combatants are off the table and no longer threats. And um, yeah, I I and I think that was more my not quite understanding things as much. I think, I think if we play this again or play a game in this system again, that combats are going to be a little bit more involved, not crunchy, but like what is the outcome of your next maneuver to going to right. be not what is the outcome of the whole battle? Cause the outcome of the whole battle is I win. Uh, right. But you know, the, the idea of, you know, it's like, I want to, you know, I want to, I think we started doing it uh, toward the end of like, you know, throwing somebody against a wall or, you know, pinning someone to the ground or whatever, you know, and, and taking people out. And I don't mind going like, if I, if I want to use uh, fate as an example, like having the minions basically be one hit and they're down. Um and if you get enough successes, you can take out multiple minions in a quote unquote hit, basically a die roll. You are throwing lots and lots of punches or shooting lots and lots of bullets, but you can take out lots of things at once. But, um, you know, trying to get it so that as a GM, it's challenging and a risk for you to get into combat. That's mm -hmm. that's something I think uh, I agree was felt a little missing. So I think um, it was interesting for me because so I have we, we were do, we were running Scum and Villainy and I think that we're running Scum and Villainy. My friends and I have been doing this kind of homebrew playtest of doing like a fifth edition version of Star Wars. And I have my my GURPS lunchtime game. And uh, the GURPS lunchtime game has a lot of heists. Uh, Star Wars has a lot of combat, a lot of combat. We've been spending all of our playtesting, like focusing on combat. There's a little bit of skating. We did one that was focused on skills, but even then it was, there was still a fair amount of combat included. And, and then we had scum and villainy. And so I, the, the thing that I found myself wanting was like more of the scum and villainy. <laughs> like it, it's in some ways it's hard, right? Because I think, you know, there isn't, like Chris was saying, there's not a prescribed answer to what skill and scum and villainy you should use. If you can, if you can come up with, you know, a good way to use scrap versus scramble versus skulk versus sway, like to get, you know, e even just in a physical confrontation, you have options. But even beyond that, like it's not assumed that you're going to be in combat, like you were saying. Meanwhile, over in our Star Wars playtest, 
we were playtesting three different ways to run deflection with lightsabers <laughs> to try and figure out which one best uh, reflects the, the 5e mechanic and is loyal to 5e and which still feels cinematically Star Wars. And I think if we had decided to do, to do Star Wars for Scum and Villainy, that would have been a very different thing, right? Like it would have you would have succeeded very well and you you deflected every shot. Right. Because mm -hmm. you succeeded very well. And if you had failed, it got through and you got like the Luke Skywalker blaster to the back of the hand. Ah, you know, um, and there would be a complication. Mechanical hand doesn't work quite so well anymore. Right. That, that was the harm. So it was interesting. Like my brain was just like once my brain was starting to adjust to this. And I will say that it, there was a learning curve. And I think it took us all a while to kind of get our heads around mm -hmm. shifting to that worldview. I was like, ah, oh, damn, how could I do this in 5e? <laughs> But also, hmm, if we had done Star Wars, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I would like to have, like, there are things in this system that I would like to bring to other systems, like the flashback mechanic and such like that. Um, I did like the freeform nature of it that um, allowed everybody to uh, to kind of bring their own flavor to it and, and have their own narrative uh, control over the world. Although we all needed to kind of get used to that, you know, like, like, especially at the beginning, like we were all kind of in a mindset of, of more traditional games where players don't necessarily have that control. And as we played and as we talked after playing, et cetera, like all of us kind of allowed for that grabbing of narrative control to happen more often, which I thought was really cool seemed like uh, the uh the possibilities were endless and sometimes and i think that's the downside to there is no planning time it's just you're going into this you have endless possibilities and the only thing that's narrowing them down is your character themselves yeah <laughs> yeah go ahead chris i, I uh i Elmore Leonard once said something um he's a guy that wrote like the Raylan Gibbon stories and be cool and um, all that. And he said, uh, someone asked him why he was such a good writer. And he said, you know, those parts, those boring parts that you skip when you read, I just don't write those parts. And, <laughs> and I, I think Scalzi just said something real similar in a blog post. But the point is, I feel like that's what this does. I mean, I, I, I was playing in this and I'm playing in a D and D campaign at the same time. And, you know, combat in a D and D campaign is just such a snooze fest because you know, we've been playing it for so long, we just talk about dice rolls. It's not terribly cinematic unless you've got that kind of group. Mm -hmm. uh, this right. urge is that cinematic thing. And, yes. you know, you don't, the downtime thing, yeah, we had to dicker about downtime, but it wasn't, you know, we number one, we didn't do it on the feed. But, you know, number two, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Whereas, you know, you, you can take an hour to go around the table to find out, well, what do you want to do with the next six hours of your life? And there's this list of things, and you know, so I, I really enjoyed uh, lots of action, um, even if it wasn't combat. It didn't need to be combat. Um, they, I, we skipped the boring parts. I like that. Yep. Trying to look and see if there's anything that segues nicely into this. Um, like, uh, going back on what, um, 
Chris Johnson was saying earlier, I'm also picking up uh, improv for gamers and this system specifically is what pushed me over the edge to go for that because I've always enjoyed role-playing and I've always role-played no matter what system I was in. Um, I started with D&D uh, way, way back in the early days. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why I know Aaron was because of their group that was heavy on the role-playing. And... Uh, it's, it's always been something I've enjoyed. Um, I've never been a theater geek, uh, other than on the technical and audio visual side, not on stage. So, but uh, it's always been something that has interested me. So doing the improv side of things is really interesting to me. And this game, in my opinion, unless you're unless you're just stating your actions, which can be fun for some people. I like the, the implicit bias toward role-playing in this system. So I've got a segue for you. So um, from a, from a game master's perspective, like we, we had talked about Brendlewood Bay and how challenging that had been to prepare for. How did this, oh, yeah. how did it fit? Like, where did you find, where did you start at in terms of prep and where did you end at in terms of prep? Um, I started a bit on the lighter side, but more than I did for Brindlewood Bay, because I learned a lesson from Brindlewood Bay, <laughs> um, which is I need better characters. Uh, I needed. I also learned that I needed still better characters and setup for this than I than I thought I did. Um, it is not as heavy on setup, like on on prep uh, that I would do do for like a D and D game. Um, but uh, but it was definitely more than I uh, have been used to for a while. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where um, I'd open it, but I don't want to mess up the stream. Uh, I've got uh, I've got an obsidian document, and then you know each each prep document is like double the one that was before, um, and some of it was. Um, like the prep actually got easier, even though there was more prep because um, this game get started with the problem that all new games was, was that it's a blank slate. But the more that slate started to be filled in, the more creative I had to be at filling in those gaps. Um, and, you know, creativity thrives when you're constrained. You know, it's it's like when I say, hey, write a write a novel. Um, you know, and, and you can write any novel you want, you know, you, people's minds will go blank for the most part. If I say, write a novel about the underground pink unicorn parades in New York, um, your mind starts filling in those blanks, um, where, you know, you talk about that underneath the subway station, you know, you've got these pink unicorn stables, et cetera. I'm not going to go into that anyway. Um, so, you know, it, the, the prep was longer, but I had built on what came before. And, um, I used actually the book more than, um, and was pulling NPCs out of there and just figuring out what their personalities would be like. Um, and it was more people focused 
than event focused, the longer things went on as well. At least from my point of view. So we, we talked a lot about clocks, and I think we, we probably fixated on clocks for too many episodes, but did, we did. now that you actually use them in the game, how did you, I like, I, so me personally, I'd be curious how the other players felt, like I liked the clocks, um, I think they added a nice amount of tension, I think maybe occasionally we would, we would forget that there was a clock running, um, uh, or maybe that was just me, because we get kind of caught up in our role playing, right, like if you almost needed like the boom tick in the background right as the hand moved to the next one but overall i thought it was a cool pacing mechanic but how did you feel from the dm perspective gm um, perspective i would often forget them unfortunately uh <laughs> when, when i did run them or or forget to start one or forget to tick it up um and then sometimes when i'd remember it i'd want to tick it up more just to be a completionist um, but it was, I like them. I like them a lot. I it's, I mean, it's effectively like a skill challenge in D and D it's just, yeah. you have a visual indicator that this is going to end. Um, I also like the fact that there could be competing clocks. Um, you mm. know, it's like, uh, Hey, you're, you're running away from all these gangsters, uh, and you're, you're trying to get you to your ship. And so one clock is you've been caught and the other clock is uh, you've escaped, you know, sort of thing. Um, and having those two, having those two competing clocks was, was uh, interesting because different events could tick them up, um, tick them up or down differently as well. Um, I actually, I also have a question for Aaron. Um, we were talking about some about the, the flashbacks and I'm curious did the flashbacks help with your desire for planning? Because what I found, like in our GURPS campaign, we, where we're often doing heists, which we're not very good at, um, <laughs> I want to do the flashback. I want to rationalize why we didn't think of that thing, because we spent a lot of time planning. <laughs> and then it'll be like, oh, damn, we're in it now, and I wish we could go back. And it's not that kind of game. It's very linear. And so for me, it, it kind of scratched that planning itch, but I'm curious, you know, based on what you said before, what do you think? Um, there's only like one other gaming instance I have outside of uh, what we were doing on Thursdays, and on occasion I'm like, oh, oh, I can't use a flashback here. Dang. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it became a it became kind of a little bit of a crutch, but also it creates like it was to kind of stop all that excess planning and just uh, i'm really like i do that really well so i can kind of understand if you're not the type of gamer that does planning really well and you're the leroy jenkins kind of gamer why this would be the game for you <laughs> or if maybe you don't have you know eight hours to spend on a Saturday night to <laughs> six of which is planning. Yeah. You know. uh, I, I'm totally stealing the clocks to get some of my gamers that get analysis paralysis pretty badly to <laughs> get moving. It's, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a character flaw. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to vilify anything. I mean, all these things have their place and everybody's got their individual modes of doing things but it, you know if you're if you're trying to pace a story um unless you set aside that time for planning and sometimes that's absolutely necessary and people get a lot of enjoyment out of that 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's when things just kind of stop, and we're trying to, do we go to the tavern, or do we talk to the blacksmith? All right, we're going to start a clock now, because, <laughs> you right. know, it, 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 it's, it's that kind of planning that, um, to bog Yeah, I think when the, ta- when the table talk becomes meta, right, and it's... Right. It's not the play. It's not the characters who are having the conversation, and you're not like going out to the armory to like get some background and like doing the kind of like you know law and order investigation type stuff, right? Like right. where they're boom, boom, you have a conversation, boom, boom, you're on to the right. next thing, right? Uh, this is more like five people talking forever, <laughs> and that's where I think it gets bogged down. Like I, I'm with Aaron. I love, I love, I, I love planning too, um, but I'm also with you, like. I've spent six hours on a Saturday just talking about what the plan was, and then we never actually did the plan. (laughs) To me, and I think it's especially true with this game because the game is designed to be kind of a jump in and see where it all goes wrong and then backfill the plan, right? You backfill, you use flashbacks, you say, well, I happen to have this thing. To me, especially with this game, the longer we f- we spent trying to set it up, the more it felt like I was setting up a, an incredibly complex game like Gloomhaven, the physical board game. And it's like you spend 45 minutes and you're technically, it's part of the game. It is part of the experience of playing the game, but you're not actually playing the game. You're popping shit out of... Uh, of of cardboard sprues and you're trying to find the right little map pieces to fit here and you're trying to find the little door pieces that align correctly with the two but you know it, that's not the fun bit of it the fun bit of it is okay now everything is set up let's go in there and and so i found myself getting very impatient to okay just start it and we'll <laughs> we can figure this out and i think that's in the spirit of the way, but it's definitely in the spirit of the way Scum and Villainy and Blades in the Dark work. But I also understand where we're coming from, where we're not used to playing that way. And when it is heist time, you do want, but I want it to feel more Ocean's Eleven, where you as the audience, you as the players, don't know everything that goes in to the, the heist when the heist starts. You see the scene you see the vault you see the thing and it's only afterward that you find out oh they had a duplicate vault made and and i kind of wanted i was waiting for that field for that sort of thing i'm sorry yeah spoilers for oceans 11 uh, I, I was waiting for that kind of a moment where it was that kind of a jaw-droppingly big like holy crap you know they did this huge thing ahead of time. Nobody talked about it. It was just like, but here it is, and it's super cool. Yep. So, uh, since we've been talking about how different this game is from from like D and D, how did um, I'm gonna? I'll start with Ken. But how did your play change over the course of this game? I I think I leaned into it more. Um, I think with with with, as with any game, I think um, there's everybody has their niches, and so I think as the pilot, um, it was it was hard. You know, if if it wasn't going to be an episode that didn't have a lot of piloting, um, sometimes it felt like I'm not quite sure what I'd be doing. Um, But I think over time, I was like, well, I have these other skills; I should just use them, right? And I think to kind of like uh, Chris Miller's point, right, like. 
we got six episodes. Like, let's just like lean into it, right? Like, you know, I, I think as as Wordwell built over time, every ri- like basically every risk, every risk, he's just going to take the risks, right? Like, I'm always going to go for the extra dice. I'm always going to go for the devil's bargain because as I got to know the character better and also knowing like it's a limited this is a limited engagement, right? If he goes out in a blaze of glory, that's okay because that's his character. I think over time, I just, I, I leaned into it and I really like just started, you know, why take it to 10 when you can take it to 11, right? Like that's Ordwell's, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was Ordwell's track. How about you, Josh? Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the play changed as we got more into like as we got deeper and more acclimated to the the style um yeah definitely play changed because i started off thinking twitch is going to be this in the van hacker guy that's just not going to be like the center of attention he's just going to sit there and just kind of give the okay guys all clear (laughs) open up the door (laughs) and stuff like that and he turned into this basically he went from being a what i had thought was going to be like this hacker mechanic type of guy into kind of a mystic-y feel stoner jedi (laughs) Jedi, yes um so and that kind of as he changed so did my play style because then i started thinking oh well i could actually use attunement and i actually from in our downtime when we got like experience and stuff i stopped putting it in one area and started putting it into another because i was like this is the route that he's kind of going and then as that changed, so did his demeanor, and so did the character a little bit. So it was, it was, it was as we got more used to it, I kind of found that little niche that it wasn't what I was looking for, but it was what he fell into, and it ended up being really, really cool. Also, I also like you, like Ken was kind of talking about the uh, uh, the devil's bargains. Oh yeah, I love. There's one thing that I would love taking to another game. It's the devil's bargains. Like, yeah, you could definitely do that. But here's what's going to happen. <laughs> if you take it, you'll get a bonus. <laughs> but if you get that bonus, this thing will happen. <laughs> uh, and I think that's one of the cool, like, um, I, I also played D&D uh, every Sunday. And I'm like, I wish that we could take that and put it in there, along with the clocks and maybe even some of the flashbacks. But but definitely the devil's bargains. <laughs> I, mean, I it, love those It things. harkens back to uh, West End Games d6 star wars to me which is like you're fighting it's this really tense tense lightsaber battle or or tense you know shootout whatever and and then the you know the gm representing the dark side at that point can go you know you can be more powerful you can double your dice you can double them again if you've already spent a force point. You could get four times the amount of dice that you'd normally roll. You just need to accept a dark side point. Oh, and of you know, uh, and I you know, it's stuff. it could be you know, that's very that's very you know very much you know uh, reminiscent uh, or or precognizant. I don't know. It's it it seems very related to the devil's bargain in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like the, that the devil's bargain is much more open than just a dark side point. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I, I, I like the devil's bargain too. 
Plus, it gives you a little bit of flexibility. If there was something that you wanted to see happen that you kind of didn't get a chance to incorporate in, this was a it was a good way to incorporate some of the extra stuff into. Yeah, although it was always it was always you know I can't just have a list of here's a bunch of devil's bargains, <laughs> right? Because they're all very situational. You that know, it's true. like, oh, if if the next devil's bargain on my list is the planet blows up, I, I don't. That's <laughs> that's very situational. <laughs> you know, um, Aaron, how about you? How did your did your play style change, and how did it change? If if it changed, um, I ended up in more faith uh, situations than I thought I would. Um, kind of played. I was sort of aiming for more of a this first and talk later, and I ended up with the talk first and this later. <laughs> uh, I expected to be punching a lot more things than I did. Is that so is that, that was that because of the way the role playing and such went? Oh, we lost, we lost Aaron. Oh, oh no. Wrong button. Here she comes. <laughs> I think she was aiming for the mute button. <laughs> Sp- spontaneously ascended. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened. Um, I'll go back to my last thought, which I thought I was more punch first and talk later, and then I ended up with talk first and punch later. I think it's because um, combat seemed more dangerous than I thought it would be. Okay, so it's more system related rather than like how the like the role playing side of of the things in the. Yeah, because combat seemed harder and more. It should. It seemed like something that should be avoided more to me. I think the system's written like that in a lot of ways. So because of that, I went back to. Lot of my face skills, um, uh, which I normally play face characters. So, um, and I, and when we were all making characters, we were all like, "I want the face character." No, I want the face character. <laughs> <laughs> we all kind of like wanted the face character, so I specifically went to the okay. I will be the most honorary individual who just punches things rather than talks to them, and now I'm talking to them. <laughs> I tried to include the honorary aspect of and the awkwardness uh, of why I chose her name to be Karma, um, because she was very much a just punch first and talk to it later. Gotcha. Put it out after after I punched it and knocked it out. <laughs> Mr. Miller, how about you? Um. I think it changed as I came to understand the character more. Um, James Watson started off as much more of a, uh, more like a Simon Tan style character and began to get darker and more amoral as we went on. <laughs> I would say that's more, accurate. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was more fun to play him almost like a doctor who didn't really take his Hippocratic Oath all that seriously. Um, it's more of a guideline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think, but but you know, that understanding came with learning how to play the system better. Um, 
playing the sketch, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing in this game. Um, because to me, you know, space heists usually involve a lot of combat. And, you know, I, I was not built for combat. I was going to be the guy patching people up. But I think I split a little bit of the face duty with, with Aaron there, at least once, I, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I had a lab coat on hand. And that was the kind of thing that um, it kind of harkened back to, you know, Kirk asking Bones to do things and, and Bones going off and doing them. You know, you know, not necessarily a doctor, but... And I, so, I think that... I think just just to interrupt you for real quick, I think mm-hmm. for me, like when you started leaning into the, and I think we all just fed it to you, but like the, I'm not a doctor, I'm a doctor, not a, <laughs> like, I think we got a lot of mileage out of that, maybe too much mileage out of it, but I loved it. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. And it was fun to try to find reasons for, and that's why, you know, the, the character begins to develop. I'm, I'm sad to leave him behind because he was just starting to get interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my it was definitely once I began to understand the system a little bit better, the character made different decisions because I understood what was available to me better. Yeah. I think. I think if uh, if we ever go back to this setting, that he is going to uh, be one of the antagonists for the characters, I probably. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> unless he grows a conscience. I mean, he is working. One, it's in that right over there. Right, right. Along nicely. Yeah, yeah. But, but unless he implants it again, you know, <laughs> exactly. it's not going to really inform his actions. What How about you, you Mr. Johnson? Jiminy, Jiminy Shaga. <laughs> um, I think one thing, not necessarily related to the character itself, but to the system and the kind of the vibe we were going for is that the the more we played the less i was worried about what was on the character sheet in terms of the numbers it was really only important when i need i need to keep track of the stress you know that's that's kind of it and i liked i really like the freedom of yeah i have some equipment we don't have to tell you what it is but i've got some and so the focus became more on less about what do the numbers on a on a sheet tell me that I can do and more about all right what can I do right now that here that would be really cool like how about if I threw a guy through this mass driver kind of a thing you know and, and it wasn't a, you know nobody had to look up grapple rules and all of that nonsense and do anything it was just like yeah no that'd be kind of a cool thing for you to do and um the character of Jagger, um, you know, it, it, my my issue with the character, and it more is an issue with myself, is that I, I, I don't know that I ever really nailed down what his personality was from one session to another. And I attribute that to being, to him loading different uh templates as time goes on and just trying them out to see which ones he liked. I think it'd be interesting if you were, um, uh, and I guess this kind of goes into my next one, um, like, which is what do you wish you you got to explore with your character that never just fit in or had the opportunity to to flesh out uh, what never came to be, you know, that you wanted to see. And I think it'd be interesting if you were going with that idea seeing more of those, you know, distinct templates 
you know, showing up one mission and then and then having a completely different one the next mission. You know, the pacifist, the one mission. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of um, jump on that idea. The the one session that I did have to miss, I can't remember why. You know, I, I kind of thought afterward. Well, you know, I've put it into this backstory that my character that Jagger occasionally suffers these catastrophic memory losses, and wouldn't it be cool? If while I was literally off doing something else and couldn't play the game, that's why Jagger wasn't present because he had just had, you know, the 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 um, the equivalent of, you know, he got hit on the head in a soap opera and now he can't remember who he is. And he just comes back as like, it's a totally different thing that, you know, he's here and he has some ideas because there are, um, you know, there are certain records that show that this is where he's supposed to be, but he has no idea. But it, it would have been cool to play with that. And I think with, with respect to downtime, uh, delving more into how the um, exercising your vice works. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, by the end of each session, we were kind of like, okay, looking at the watches, wrapping it up and trying to get the downtime over with rather than really making that a meaty, potentially meaty part of it, where I know that each individual character has this potentially interesting vice and some cool ways to explore it. And we, but we were kind of pushing that off to this is in between stuff. Yeah, no, I know. I've read a couple of, of instances like Rob Donahue has uh, um, talked about his experience with Blades in the Dark, how their downtime directly leads to the next adventure because one of their guys got in trouble and the person that they got in, you know, they got bailed out by this other group and now they owe that group a favor. And so that's what led directly into their next their next uh, their next heist so yeah that, i think that is something the downtime stuff is something that could be um you know like we have a condensed window yeah yeah that's the problem because you know we're doing this online but also we only have so much wakeful hours because of reasons um you know so it's like where do you fit it all in but if we had more time to fit that in um you know, I, I think it could be a, a, a fun area to play through. Um, you know, there's some parts of it of like, I'm just going to burn off some stress with my vice. And if you succeed, then great. You can role play a little bit about it. Um, and most of the time, I think it would just be the straight rolls. But then if you end up blowing it in some way, that's where the that meat of, of good story could happen. Anyone else want to chime in with what they, if there was anything they wanted to explore with their character? I think uh, background was kind of a thing. One of one of the downsides, I think, to the system and just being thrust into the action part is you don't get uh, to go back and just say, "Oh yeah, back when I was like twelve years old, me and my brother used to go out back and shoot womp rats or whatever." You know, you never had that like. I mean, you could try to do it into a flashback, but then it runs into, well, my flashback is probably supposed to be part of this thing. I don't want a flashback <laughs> to where I'm like a little child and stuff like that. So I think, and I think maybe as time had gone forward, if we had played this, you know, for a year or so 
we probably would could have gotten into some of that stuff, but I feel like that was just something that never quite fit in at the right time, you know? Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was just because, you know, time constraints and everything like that too. So, yeah. Yeah. I think six, six sessions is hard to fit that into. Um, but six sessions and learning a brand new system for most of us <laughs> makes, makes it, it even, even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree that I think pulling up people's backgrounds and, and such would have been, uh, pretty cool as a, a role-playing ad. Yeah. I think that was another way to get experience too. Right. Probably. Yeah. 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 It was like, mention your background, hold to your ideals, what have you. I I struggled. I struggled to do that because I I found I didn't know my background well enough. And so I, I guess that's one of the things, the things I tried to nail down over time. And I think I retconned his background several times. (laughs) I think he ended up as a a noble or something like who is disenfranchised. But to your point, like we didn't have that episode where we go back to Ordwell's home world where he's the do not, you know, never do well, never do well. Uh, You know, former noble who wrecked like the, one billion dollar racing thing like we never that could have been and then you have to do the heist there right like we didn't we didn't have that episode because we didn't get that far into the season we got canceled we canceled ourselves <laughs> <laughs> like what would they have done in firefly season two right, right. i mean right for, for me it's not so much um my character as it is the crew i think we we had a weird background um and this isn't a criticism. I think it, we would have gotten there eventually. And certainly we went up against the ghosts who were in fact themselves pretty weird. Um, and I think we had fun with that weirdness, but like we weren't really going into like lost areas of, a. we, we weren't doing like the, uh, the um, uh, star Lord, right? Like going for the MacGuffin to like dealing with the weird mysteries of the way. Like, I mean, we certainly manipulated it and came up with some interesting devices, but I don't know that we hewed as close to our, to the strange. I don't know that the ship and our crew did really got into the strange as much. I think yeah. we got pulled into it, but it wasn't, it wasn't the thrust. I, and I don't know that it's a bad thing, but I think it could have been a thing we could have developed over time. Yeah. I think that would have evolved. I feel very much that um, this was a prequel to a bunch of weird stuff happening. Yes. Um, and, right. and us being <laughs> in the thick of that for, for various reasons. I think probably would have been, you know, season two, you know. Yes. When, when, the Unchained when, Gate. Well, when Jagger grows a beard, you know. <laughs> I mean, he could he could become a junkie on, and you know, all sorts of magnets, fridge magnets. No, he actually just acquired a beard. <laughs> <laughs> he just showed up with a beard, and we're like, "Where'd you get the beard?" <laughs> it's just shiny. Yeah. <laughs> why that, is it still kind of bloody yeah either that or yeah where'd you get the definitely human beard <laughs> there might be some definitely human face still clinging to it right. <laughs> held on got with dark magnets. really fast just, oh, oh this old thing I yeah. just, oh, that would be such a great scene anyway and then later on jagger goes to to the doc says doc I have a real hard time with my beard can you help me <laughs> <laughs> oh man so anybody else uh have have in, have uh want to put forward where they thought their their character would be 
No. How about uh, what would you want in? Uh, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, what would you want in future games that we would play? And I and could be scum and villainy. Could be outside of scum and villainy. But like, what sort of games and and style of play do you guys are you guys most interested in? Could be an old favorite. Could be something new. You mean that's a big, big, broad question. It I'm is a huge, figure. broad question. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where to go with that. Um, I, I know what pieces of this game I'm going to steal and try to insert into other gaming systems that I run. I do this all the time. I stole Sanity from Call of Cthulhu, and we use it in D. You know. Mm-hmm. But there, I mean, you know, really, the 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 idea of the devil's bargain, the clocks, you know, as a primarily a GM, I you know, I play sometimes, but I primarily GM. Um, finding places to use these tools when appropriate, you know, um, I think is going to be a lot of fun, and I would love to run either this or um, Blades in the Dark as a, you know as as. As as a TV series, as a as a you know, you got you do like a BBC series. You got six episodes, and then you take a break, and you come back for another six episodes. I that okay. actually I, reminds I, me. I, Go ahead. Sorry, I was just I was just going to blather, but that's you know that's essentially <laughs> it. It reminds me of a game that that we ran um, that I ran for the Game Master Show, uh, and and Aaron was part of it. Um, was called Primetime Adventures. And I, I would, I would love to mash primetime adventures mm-hmm. up with with Blades in the Dark or or Forged in the a Forged in the Dark game, um, mm-hmm. because it it the tagline for primetime adventures is the best TV show you've never seen, um, and there's a producer who produces the show, but everybody calls for their own scenes. Um, at the beginning, you set how long the season is going to be. So if it's a six episode season, everybody uh, has talked about their characters. It's a group character sort of creation. It's mostly a role playing sort of thing. It's not really stats driven uh, as far as I remember. It's been a while. Um, but everybody writes on a piece of paper uh, a one, two or three. And a one means you are the focus of that episode. And a three means you're basically a background character in that episode. And a two is kind of like a supporting cast. And you get like one, one and a couple, you know, basically depending upon the number of episodes, you get so many ones, so many twos and so many threes, and you have to distribute them. And then you give them the producer, find out if there's any conflicts or anything like that. And then, but that sets the season. So if, if Aaron is, says uh, episode one is a one for her, she is the focus for that episode and the main character in that episode. No matter how much, you know, this weird side plot thing over here is going on, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, if we're going to use a Seinfeld reference, you know, it's like Kramer busting in the door is like a side plot to the main plot. Um, you know, you can still laugh at Kramer busting through the door and asking if you've got emergency yogurt, but then almost immediately it shifts back to Aaron's character and her actual main plot line. Um, and that and 
as you're playing uh, every person in the in the game. You know, if you say something funny and a table busts up or you say something clever or have a cool scene or whatever, everybody has a certain amount of fan mail that they can give to other players that's used as basically a currency in the game uh, so that they can do extra special things. Um, and so some of the mechanic, I wouldn't take everything, but some of the mechanics from that and then some of the mechanics from the Forge in the Dark smashed together, I think would make a, a pretty interesting mashup. Chris and I actually completely failed to play Primetime Adventures many years ago. Um, we didn't get into any of the, uh, the ones and the twos and the threes because we got completely hung up on trying to build the, um, the world in which the TV show took place and got a just 100% truck sidetracked with that nice. and never went anywhere with yeah. I, I understand you and Chris also failed to play Fate by just creating we, characters. We, we failed a lot. Oh, God. We were, what we do. We were it's the best really what we do. We, we did. We failed I mean, many, many things. I, I totally understand that with like the early Spirit of the Century Fate uh, mm -hmm. level of Fate was just like you could spend an entire session creating characters and you were like, that is the best game session ever, but you actually technically haven't played. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what it really came down to is that Chris and I really like making stuff up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not finishing stuff, but you know, no, starting. Yeah. No. Yeah, finishing's overrated. <laughs> I think, um, if I remember the original question, I don't remember the original question. Uh, original what do you want to have in future games? Okay. So if it were me, I would take, and, and this is, everybody does this, like, uh, uh, you know, just yank aspects of the scum and villainy that I like and maybe try to combine it with something like Cypher. Um, and then, and I'm going to be in the minority here, I would take a big pair of scissors and cut out all the mystic stuff. Just leave it and make it pure sci-fi. I don't want force. I don't want the way. I don't want clerics. I don't want monks. I just want pure sci-fi. Um, something along the lines like a Becky Chambers Wayfarers, although mm. there's, a, there's a little bit of mysticism in the edges of that um with their navigators i think but it's also more of a viral parasitic thing anyway <laughs> uh, or maybe jesse quack's Bellari system which is more like um it's more like the sopranos in space with a little less swearing um and, and some, do something like that where it is purely sci-fi uh, because and i don't know why when when i whenever i see um, and it, it's very obvious with scum, scum and villainy that the way is a stand-in and it just feels like we are painting Star Wars into this with the serial and we, we said mean, serial number scratched off and, but to me there's a certain feel about Star Wars and the mysticism that is involved that is uniquely and inherently star wars and when you try to put that somewhere else it just doesn't work for me and i just want it to be sci-fi which yeah and i try i actually tried to make 
the way different <laughs> mysticism than it was the than the force. So right, no, absolutely. I, 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 it had a different that. feel in it. Um, yeah, it, what what kept coming to me is uh, when you were explaining that is like it's it sounds like you would like uh, like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven as opposed to Shadowrun. Uh, whereas Cyberpunk 2077 is pure sci-fi, uh, uh-huh. augmented humans, etc., corporate, right. etc. Whereas Shadowrun is Cyberpunk 2077 with magic dragons and elves. Right. If we were playing, if we were playing that type of ground, I'd say you know this was very space-based. Cyberpunk, very ground level. You remember the game Satellite Rain that we played together on yes. PC for a while? Yep. That's that more of that type of a thing. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, so nitty-gritty sci-fi, not um, space not wizards. It's hard sci-fi. I mean, a lot of room to play. It could be space opera. Yeah, space opera, but, you know, I mean, without the... Ice without pirates the, would fit in that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> space hunter adventures in the forbidden zone, that sort of thing. Right? Yeah. Were you about to say something, Josh? No, no, no. I was just agreeing. Okay. Um, I could. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> something up here. No. Um, no, I mean, I like the there's it, what I like about this is it gives me a few more tools in the toolbox that I can use for kind of other things. Um, I kind of agree with Chris how he was saying, like, if you're going to make Star Wars, just make it Star Wars. <laughs> and I do enjoy <laughs> that, like, you kind of changed it and tweaked it around a little bit to make it different than, like, we're not using the Force. This is something different, and here's a few changes that make it different. So I enjoyed that, but at the same time, I'm like, every comparison that I was making to this game, I was like, oh yeah, it's like Star Wars. Oh yeah, it's like Star Wars. I mean, that, that was one of our, uh, one of the questions very early on when we were talking about this game is, do we want it to be Star Wars and use the system, or do we want to just actually use, play Scum and Villainy as the book is written, rather than and not, you know, file the serial numbers off, or mm-hmm. leave the serial numbers there. <laughs> to, to jump back into that a little bit, as well as what uh, Josh was saying, you know, if it had been Star Wars, if we had opted to go down that route, and there were reasons that we didn't and could have, and we still could do, you know, I think you could take Scum and Villainy and just lift their setting out, and you could do Star Wars, and maybe, maybe at some point we would like to do that, now that we have a bit of a grip on the system. The thing with Star Wars is that you kind of have in your head the rules for how the force works, right? Unless you're, you know, banging on the table with your shoe because Leia's flying in space and you don't think it's worked that way, damn it. But um, <laughs> with the way, we kind of had to make it up as we went along. And so it feels very fuzzy around the edges. And, and I, I don't feel personally like i ever really got a and and maybe that's for the best but i really ever got a good grip on how it works you know the force there's very specific things that a jedi sith does with the force and there's a little room for wobble around the edges but they are pretty well defined there are lanes you stay in and with the way it's just so very open that it's like this 
catch-all for weird, right? Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it does feel like I don't, I, I never really wrap my head around. You know, Chris, I think that's a really good point. Know what game you're playing. Um, I, as you as you bring this up, I'm kind of tallying. How many times have I played a pure sci-fi game? Never. They always throw a fantasy <laughs> element in. There's always a, want to be a space wizard? Okay, go be a space wizard. Or a, a cyber wizard. Or, a, you know. But I, I, I think you bring up a really good point. You know, um, run it without the way. See how it goes. It's just, a, it's just another MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's literally only one skill, right? So, <laughs> which we might be able I, to just I, come up with and and make something else. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Um, I think the only sci-fi game that didn't have magic that I've ever played, I know of several, like like uh, Traveler and such, but um, would be Star Frontiers. But I did not play mm-hmm. it very often. So, and even so, there were some mystic type things there that were, or things that felt mysticky to mm-hmm. me. Um, I, it's been a very long time since I've opened a Star Frontiers book, though. So I don't know if if it's true of Star Frontiers or Travelers, but my gut feeling is that when you yank any sort of fantasy out of a sci-fi suddenly the system is incredibly crunchy because you're dealing with sci-fi and it's all like super duper numbery. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that I could be completely wrong. Actually, um, and I almost, it would be a Western uh, space Western would be the, the serenity system. The firefly, the firefly game was another sci-fi, but that was proto cortex. So it was not super crunchy. Um, okay. very narrative um, but also not like really heavy on the sci-fi it was more about telling the stories about people not telling oh. the stories about the technology and that like the tech levels or whatever of the te- right. of that technology and that's where I think cipher to my recollection would be a little bit fall short of that narrative because they are very very focused on the tech levels in cipher their their levels mm. uh for and weapons and droids and and everything but and cipher also has a mystic element to it as well gotcha aaron do you have anything you'd like to see in in future games um i've been really trying to think about an answer to that question and i honestly can't think of an answer to that question <laughs> Uh, I, I take each game as I guess I do kind of like the clock a little bit, um, although it can also be a distraction. So, no, I just kind of take each game as, as I can, I guess. And probably bring more planning into it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> gotcha. I guess well more well defined problems because that's where I really do well with the planning and the ill defined scenario uh, and the whole just make it up as you go along that it actually kind of gives me anxiety. The 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 bare essential sketch of this is the type yeah. of job you're doing 
but okay, none of the I, details of what the type of that job. Yeah. And that was to prevent us from over planning, but at the same time, that that lack of detail just it causes some issues within me somewhere. You know. Um, gotcha. Creates, like I said, it creates some anxiousness and like, but I, but I gotta know all this and that. And, it's got to fit into a little box so that I can define the box and understand the box. And when it doesn't fit there, it it drives me crazy. Cool. I guess you were saying with the with the novel, you'd tell us to write a novel, and our minds just go <laughs> blank because there's too much that we could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that caused a lot of problems with my flashbacks. They're like, "Well, just flashback something." I'm like, "You're asking me to just." make things up now and i didn't have any <laughs> original plans to, like i can make things up when i have an original plan to like bullshit off of and that know? i mean there was a situation where like we got caught in a thing and i just all of a sudden said we're fumigators for this twily bug infestation and all of a sudden it just became a thing and i had made that up in in the spur of the moment but that's because i had a plan originally to leap off of and so the lack of planning never gave me the ability to like need any flashback yeah i i would love for us as a group to go through some of the exercises in the um improv for gamers to see if that to see if we gel with that but also to see if that changes our play style at all um you know if if it could be an improvement for us um i think we're all pretty good at improv but we are definitely not professional improv artists and i don't think we will ever will be professional improv artists but i think we could i think going through that would be an interesting exercise that might yield uh, more fun games down the road. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's just. It, it can be really hard, and I think it's. It sometimes it's easier to improv in the systems you're most familiar with because you you already know the rules ahead of time, and so you have you can riff off of that pretty easily. And when I think I found with sci-fi, like hard sci-fi, hard sci-fi is. Sci-fi is hard, even when it's not hard sci-fi, because it kind of expects you to have an explanation, mm -hmm. right? Like, and when you include that fantasy bit, you can just like, that's okay. You can hand wave it. It was the force. It was like some, you know, alien technology so advanced that you don't understand it, right? Like it, Star Trek falls into this uh, when they can't answer the question, right? And it's, it's just hard. Yeah. So I, I get that. I think. Um, very well. Like, like, how is that city flying through the air? You know, it's like, like, you know, it, it's magic. What are you talking about? It, that's, it just is, it, it's fine. You don't have to explain no, all the spells <laughs> and all the weird stuff that went into making that city fly or how many millions of people it would take to craft all those spells. Whereas if you uh, had that same thing in a sci-fi setting, you could, and like go down and do all of that stuff. You know, I think. Uh, one of the things that you could do, and Ken mentioned Star Trek, and we've talked about how this is episodic. Um, I've been watching The Next Generation with my son, and he is on middle of five. And the thing about Star Trek, and the original series did this too, is there was, there was always something 
not necessarily episode to episode, because there's always something where they introduce this very cool thing that happens only in that one episode, and you never hear from it again. And you either lean into that and just say, yeah, that worked there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's not here now. We're not there. This is not then. We're in this situation, and you don't have that thing, you know. Yeah. You could you could take that approach to it and just kind of lean into it and and admit that your continuity is not going to be strict and and perfect from episode to episode. I mean, I, I know for a fact that there was a, a continuity error in our last episode. <laughs> I don't know what you're wow. talking about, man. Everybody knows that there are whole starships filled with crews of lizards because they hit warp ten. Like <laughs> it's canon, and uh, I'll right. fight you on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just ghost ships completely crewed with lizards. Yep. What about what about transwarp? Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. We're just going to beam you from one planet to a ship that's in warp speed. Yep, yeah, sure, we can do that. We'll never do it again, but we can do it now. (laughs) To be clear, if I ever run a Star Trek campaign, there will be an episode with space lizards. (laughs) What I I do think is funny about Star Trek is sometimes those those one-offs that never, quote-unquote, never happen again, they never happen again in that series, but then writers will come along and pluck them out. That's very true. And and suddenly we have Star Trek IV, where they go back in time and save whales. You know, um, or or in Picard, they're doing this all over the place in Picard. Are they? Where you where they're pulling names out that you haven't heard in a long time. (laughs) You know, you need you need a concordance to look everything up because everything means nice. And then, and I know that uh, the the Star Trek movies that came out most recently in the first one, like Spock alternate or original universe Spock tells Scotty he can beam somebody onto a moving starship from a planet. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, you're right. How did you get that equation? It's like, well, you made it because it was in that episode. (laughs) And then he beams them on board of a moving starship. So anyway, I think we're, I think we're about done here. I think we're, some of us are flagging. Some of us are, questioned out etc so uh thanks for joining us um in two weeks if you're watching this right now uh when it when it is being recorded uh we will probably be playing honey heist um and and uh see how that goes uh if you're not then it might happen be in your feed already um so, uh, but please, uh, come on over, see us, uh, twitch.tv slash layer of secrets, uh, our website, layer of secrets.com. Uh, we're at layer of secrets on Twitter, uh, and, you know, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Twitch, etc. Tell us friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your kids, etc. Um, we need all the followers we can get. So anyway, uh, give us, give us feedback. We love it. Uh, and you get to hear your name because we'll, we'll, we'll shout your name out unless you tell us not to. 
All right. that. Which which one? Which way would be the like and subscribe buttons? Be, <laughs> right there. Probably down right there. down here somewhere. <laughs> somewhere over there in here. Yeah, we are on YouTube uh, as well. Uh, look us up, Layer of Secrets channel on YouTube. We don't have a custom URL yet, but uh, we'll we'll get there eventually if enough of you follow us. So anyway, uh, have a good night, everybody.